You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth living, OJ, Juice, man, this is strictly for them true fans, dog fans, number one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, I'm up in that fish tank. Welcome back to the Fish Tank right here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Seth Levitt, DJ Preaching, of course, the great OJ McDuffie. Juice, how you feeling today? What's up, Big Seth? Man, you know, we had to change it up a little bit. I think Vanessa put the call in to Leon and said we got to switch it up for these guys. You know, get them back in the Fish Tank studios, even though we can't be in front of each other. Right. Juice, it's been a good run. We've had a couple of good players on here, some quarterbacks, some guys who uh, put the rock in your hand from time yeah. to time. But some of these best stories have been have come from the guys who are storytellers for a living. And yeah. what better way to keep that rolling than to bring in an award-winning columnist? Say that again. Say that again. Award-winning. Like, there lots of awards. There we go. Lots of awards. Dave Hyde, welcome to the tank. And I like that introduction, guys, but the bar, you're setting the bar a little high. The secret of life is low expectations, okay? <laughs> you got to put the pressure on you when you're in the tank. That's right. That's right. On, Dave. Hey, we're going to get into a lot of fun here today, Dave. But, you know, we do some research. As you know, we did a little pre-interview with you. And I jumped on Google and I typed in Dave Hyde and, you know, your Wikipedia page came up. But there's a picture. Have you seen your Wikipedia page? There's a picture associated with your bio. I want to know who this guy is. I mean, he's looking a little young. Is that the issue? Who's this guy over here in the corner carrying the orange crush all the way on the left-hand side there? He's cor- I don't think that's you. Is that your dad? That, that, I don't know who. Oh, that is my dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he's wearing Syracuse. He's, he's, I've never seen that picture before, but... Uh, well, anybody who's looked for you on Wikipedia has seen that picture, because that's my, what up. My dad played lacrosse at uh, Syracuse mm. right after Jim Brown, and, and so wow. he's always... Uh, I don't know what that garb is, but somehow uh, that's... I don't know the story behind that. I'm going to have to ask him what that is. <laughs> I want to know, is he... Are you like a junior or the third? Is he also a Dave Hyde? Why does he... He is not. He is not. Thank God, because his name was Warren. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they did not saddle me with that, thank goodness. Warren Ralph make it even worse. <laughs> yeah, Warren Ralph. Well, you may want to, I don't know who adjusts your Wikipedia bio, but uh, or maybe that's good. Maybe it's good like a witness protection situation. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to tell him. He'll get a kick out of it. Yeah, he'll right? It. He'll love it. Maybe he put it there. <laughs> well, I, I know he didn't put it there because his technology, he doesn't even know what Wikipedia is. Okay. <laughs> hey, well, you know, Dave, you know, not the age either one of us, as you can tell by my grades, how old, uh, you know, I am, you know, but you've been covering South Florida sports for a long time, definitely since I got down here in 93. Tell us a little bit about your background and where you're from, you know, how you ended up as uh, you know, one of the most prominent columnists down here in our community, buddy. All righty. So I, uh, I went to school in Miami of Ohio. I grew up in outside mm-hmm. Ohio in uh, outside of Columbus in Westerville. You knew and, he knew uh, you were in Ohio. You, you know I knew yeah, that much. Yeah, I knew that. I knew I know. I Donna Carter from Westerville. Donna Carter from Westerville. Wow. Yeah. Trust me, I, I, I followed Kajana's career at Penn State and all that because he was from Westerville. And uh, so after school, I got a interview with the Rochester, New York paper. And I went to the Rochester, New York paper, and they sent me out on a trial, uh, you know, a test. Go cover a high school so- softball game. Came back. And I wrote up a story and I thought, wow, this is pretty good for, uh, you know, a, a quick run here, not knowing anything about this area. 
And the, the sports editor called me into his office and said, well, it was written pretty good, but you misspelled the name of the star player throughout the story. So that's how I started my career in <laughs> Iowa City, Iowa, and not Rochester. So I was in Iowa City for a year, uh, sent out resumes all over, got a call from the Miami Herald, and it was sunny and beautiful when I came down here, unlike Iowa. And um, so I started here in 85. So I preceded you, your gray hairs, by several years, OJ. (laughs) I was at the Herald for five years. I was covering the Earthquake World Series and got a call from the Sun Sentinel that they wanted to hire me as a columnist. And so literally it took an act of God for me to get that Sun Sentinel job. Why is that? Oh, the act of God. The earthquake. (laughs) earthquake. Come on, Seth. Keep up with my bad jokes. These are like my these are like my these Rotary Club jokes right here. You know, South Florida, Rochester. Seth, did you did you ever know the the Harvey Green Rochester joke? Did he ever tell you that one? No. He said, "Why did God make Rochester so people from Buffalo had something to make fun of?" How would he say it, Harvey? That's Harvey, yeah. right? That was a that was a ride. That was a ride on the bus ride. I'll tell you when he pulled this poor nine year old kid in the elevator at a Buffalo game. It was horrible. It was horrible. So, so you were at the Herald, and you were covering. You were covering not the Dolphins. You were yeah. I came in, and they 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 don't have the section anymore. It's called neighbors. You co- cover neighborhood sports. So actually, oh, wow. I, I cover like the uh, T-ball team that won the championship. And, uh, and, and funny story, I, co- I covered, I guess, Dan Levitard's, uh, he was on a travel baseball team. And, <laughs> and, and, and so he, he always jokes with me about covering. Uh, covering. Did you like write this horrible story and he said that I'm going to write this wrong? And get it- <laughs> I, I'd, like to, I'd like to think I inspired him to greatness by bringing out the magic of whatever team he was on. Were you fair? Were you fair for one Dan? I mean, it's. it's- he might he was on a travel team so i don't know what that means but it means he was better than uh not being on the travel team well unless yeah. you know unless you know dad or something was the coach or, or, or they had some money behind it <laughs> it'd be great to go back in the way back machine and interview him and and and, right. and, and see what he has to say about himself that would be him. classic that would be classic if you could pull that off so how do you go from covering t-ball to getting a columnist gig with the sentinel like i mean I, you know I, clearly the joke went over my head but I also can't comprehend that transition. Yeah, well, so the, the Herald back then it was like the minor leagues. Okay, they bring in, they had six, seven young people like me who, with uh, hopefully some talent and ambition, and you see what develops, and you, like any other job profession, you rise up through the ranks. So I went from there to cover the University of Florida for a couple years, uh, Galen Hall, Kerwin Bell years. Um, wow. And uh, then I started writing sport, the sports TV column back when they had such things, TV so you and were, radio. You were the first Barry Jackson. I was. I, I preceded Barry as Barry. <laughs> and and uh, oh yeah, I ripped Joe. Joe got really mad at me once. I remember. And uh, I love it. Um, you know, so <laughs> that all led to me becoming a uh, sports columnist. And and so at that point, then it's everything. You're covering dolphins. You're co- well, I say everything. <laughs> there were no, you know, there weren't as many teams to cover, but right. was it heavy yeah. dolphins and hurricanes? Yeah. You know, when I got down here, the UM baseball team in the spring was the biggest story in the world. And, and I'd never seen that before, you know, college baseball being big, but obviously Ron Frazier and uh, they were always going to the, uh, college world series it seems or and winning and there wasn't anything else going on 
And it's sort of like 24 hour news today. Well, you got to fill it with something. And we filled it with that. But the great thing of my timing to South Florida was just as I got here and got into a position where I could write about a lot of things. There were actually a lot of things to write about. The heat came, the Marlins and Panthers came the same 12 month period. And uh, all of a sudden we went from a nice triple A city. And that's really when I took the columnist job at the Sun Sentinel, um, that's what I was told. This is a great triple A city for a writer. It has some stuff, but you, you want to get to a Chicago or New York. Well, by the time I actually figured out what the heck I was doing writing a column, we had everything. From that standpoint, it's been a great, incredible market to be a sport trainer. Good stuff. And so you mentioned the Hurricanes. Um, and how much did you, uh, and, and I am going somewhere with this, but how much, you know, as a young reporter going from Dan Lebitard playing T-ball to, did, did you cover any of the, I mean, the Hurricanes at that time, if I think of especially the Jimmy Johnson teams and then that transition to the Erickson teams and the guys that played on those teams. And you talk about brash and bold. Did, did you cover any of those guys? Did you do any stories on those guys? And was that intimidating for a young reporter who was uh, spelling names wrong in Iowa? Or no, it, it, it was incredible because, uh, okay, in Iowa City, and OJ's in the Big Ten. He knows what it was like and how regimented it was. Okay, I covered Hayden Fry in Iowa. And every Tuesday, Hayden would have a press conference for 20 minutes. Then you could talk to whatever player showed up for 20 minutes. That was your whole access for the whole week, okay? And, I, and from a sports writing standpoint, a storytelling standpoint, you want to get try to get to know players, try to, you know, talk to them, bump into them as much as possible. So I go from that very regimented, closed-down outfit, which the whole Big Ten was. I go from that, my first day at Coral Gables, uh, Paul Anger, sports editor of the Miami Herald, said, hey, go down to Coral Gables. we got a story for you to do at UM. So I go, okay. So I go in the press room, small press room, uh, and all of a sudden, I realize I'm the only one there. Everybody's left somewhere. And the PR guy comes in. He goes, hey, aren't you going to go to practice? And I go, oh, we're allowed to go to practice? And he goes, yeah. So I walk out to practice, and I'm standing there. You know, here, first day, it's probably my first two weeks in South Florida. And Jimmy Johnson walks over, shakes my hand, stands next to me, and talks to me for 10 minutes. And I'm thinking, this is a whole new world, you know. And this one, <laughs> UM, is at the height of power in college, you know. Jimmy's got it going. And so that told me, you know, there's no reason that all these teams, there's no benefit to locking down other than the coach wants to control everything. And, and it also told you how Jimmy, you know, I loved how Jimmy ran the programs down here. And I loved covering Jimmy and, and you know, Michael Irvin. Look, I remember meeting at a practice, a, a guy was disciplined from University of Miami as one of his teammates, and he had to run laps. And who's out there running them with him? Michael Irvin, just because he's a good teammate, just running for half hour, 40 minutes, just because he's a teammate of the guy. So you, you really saw a lot of things, why that team was as great as it was from how they felt about each other. Oh, that's pretty awesome, man. Mike Irvin's one of my favorite guys, man. Obviously never played with him, played against him a couple of times, man. But just interaction off the field, man, it's been all positive with that guy, man. Yeah, what, a story he's, what a story he has now, right? You know? Oof. When he was inducted into the Broward County Hall of Fame, I called him up and said, hey, I want to, you're going to be here. Can I go to your neighborhood with you? Back to your old neighbor. He goes, okay. So we go back to his uh, neighborhood, and he's, we're walking the street. And he's looking, getting down, looking close at the street on the, he goes, ah, it must have rubbed off. Oh, here's, here's, if you see a little paint flex on the street. He painted strips every hundred yards. 
And after practice, he would come home and he'd run sprints wow. around the neighborhood and, he, and he'd mark, you know, how far they were. So, you know, you, get, you know, stories like that tell why guy, why a Michael Irvin got, got to the heights that he did. Yeah, no doubt. You know, another thing we have in common besides, you know, being great Ohioans, you know, is, uh, you know, as young guys, we had to interact with a legend in Coach Don Shula. I know you had to have some, some memorable moments and, and times with coaching and some experience. Man, can you tell us about a little bit of that? Yeah, well, it, you know, the one that comes to mind is probably one of the more recent ones, which uh, I, I went out with him and Bob Grease at the Gulfstream racetrack and sat for an hour and listened to Coach's awful jokes. You know, the, the, <laughs> the funny thing is he got older, he actually – lightened up and, and he, he let yep. you in and uh, he had a sense of humor. You saw it a lot more when he had the full pressure on him. Of, but uh, yeah, my first, when, when Coach Shula, you knew if you wrote something he didn't like, he would hear about it. He had confrontation was in his toolbox. You know, that was a great tool he had. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way because everybody says, oh, tell a story of Coach Shula blowing up at you. Well, here, here's the story. I, I went out there one day and, and uh, Back then, again, with access after lunch in the media room, the cafeteria, back players ate, media ate in the same room. There's a media table. Coach Shula would walk over and sit down at the media table. You'd ask him questions. So I asked a question, and he goes, after the crap you wrote, you want, you're asking that? And I was like – I feel like you like, didn't say crap, Juice. Just- yeah, I say that, but I, I don't know where we are on the rating scale here. Let right it fly, now. man. Let okay, it fly. Okay. So after the shit – the horse shit column you wrote, and I, and I was like and – I, and I said, uh, what are you talking about? And he goes, you don't even remember what you wrote? And I said, yeah, Coach, but I wrote two columns this week. I'm not sure which one you're talking about. <laughs> that, actually, that actually got a little chuckle out of him. And, and the point being – if you gave some, you know, you couldn't just take it with him. If you gave something back a little, he, he appreciated that. He, that's what he, and at the same time, some, sometimes you just let, had to let the thunderstorm roll over you. And, but he was very good. Once he said what he had to say, he was done with it. He didn't carry grudges. He didn't carry, uh, remind you the next time of it. He got it out. And, 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 I, and I think talking with players, he was the same way. You know, it's funny, Juice, as, he, as Dave's telling that story, I think to, uh, back to what William Judson told us uh, about how, you know, we had William in the tank, and he talked about how where he grew up and the communities he grew up in, it, the first white coach he ever <laughs> yeah. had was Don Shuler, which is right. fascinating. But everything was yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And he said he got to Miami, and Shuler dog cusses Mike Kozlowski, and Mike Kozlowski dog cusses him right back. And, <laughs> and then he, he said he started to realize the guys that, that were cursing back at him, he was kind of easier on. And uh, so when you say that, it's like, you know, you gave it back to him a little bit. And so maybe it was just a little temperature check. It was a heat check. Well, the the, the funny thing, okay, so he respected those type of people in his life who gave back. So he's dating Dorothy. You know, this is in the 50s, late 50s, dating Dorothy. And it it was a time in the relationship where you're either going to get married or not, and it was up to Don. And They call it shit or get off the pot, right? We've all been there, right? Right. Shit or get off the pot. And and Don's (laughs) hemming and hawing. Dorothy takes a job in Hawaii teaching. She's a teacher. She takes a job in Hawaii and she goes to Hawaii. And, and you talk about giving, he, he respected people who, who pushed back against him. So she said, okay, if you're not, I'm getting out of here. I'm not wait, hanging around for you. And, and from there, he ended up writing a letter to her and proposed to her by letter. The funny part about that, the first page of the letter is about his coaching. And the second page he, he proposed. Quite the romantic here. <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> it worked, Coach. I told you we brought the storytellers in here. <laughs> so actually, I, that brings me to a point, Dave. And, and I, I want to ask the question. Our, the listeners probably don't give a shit. But the transition from, and I guess from T-ball to columnist is probably different. But to, to being kind of a, a, if you're a beat reporter, it's a whole different style of writing than columnists. And so, like, when you tell that story or whatever the stories were that Coach was, not, was unhappy about, and I don't know if you ever figured out which one of the two it was, just talk about the difference in the approach. And, you know, when you cover the Dolphins or any of the teams in South Florida, but the one we care about here is the Dolphins, it's just when you walk into a locker room or when you go to a game even and, and what the story you're going to, to tell all the folks who are going to read that, is very different than what somebody has to tell that has to cover every kick and every play and what call were made, you know, was made. And how different is that approach? And I'm assuming you, you clearly like the columnist side better since that's uh, where you've, you know, buttered your bread over the. Yeah, no, to me, right. I always wanted to be a columnist because uh, growing up the ones I read, you, you got complete freedom as a writer. If I want to write about one play, I can write about one play. If I want to, criticize or praise, I can do that. But, you know, so when there's sort of two components to your question, because the media, my business has changed completely. And from when I started, which was initially, there were molds for a beat writer, you'd write about the game, you'd write about uh, on fourth and or third and three, they ran this play for a first down or touchdown or whatever, give give the facts. And and, uh, the column would be the opinion or the emotion or whatever. Now it's changed. There's really not nearly, there are beat writers, the guys who go out every day, but they're given opinions as uh, left and right as much as I am a lot of times. And so, you know, for better and worse, uh, the way I look at it, but it's certainly a a big change in the business. Yeah. You know, with that in mind, I mean, it's obviously, you know, you can go different places with your your storytelling, like you talked about, you know, you can take one play and make a, a whole column out of it, whatever you want to do. And it's different than just going out there and talking about who's starting, you know, who's on the trading block and things like that. But there had to be some interesting people you've covered over the years, I'm sure. And uh, one of them I know, and we had him in the tank, if I'm, if I'm mistaken, Ricky Williams. Yeah, I know you had an experience with Ricky Williams that you, know, you probably haven't had with any other player you've ever covered in your career. Yeah, Ricky was fun because as I got to know him, you know, and it took a while to really his – you know, there was the first chapter here. I really didn't know him and I didn't understand them. And then after his suspension, for whatever reason, I got to know him pretty well. And he was open to talking to me. And, and uh, we had some just really fascinating interviews, more because of him, because of who he is. And he allowed me to see. And, and so one day I was talking to him. Uh, you know, he, he, he'd taken classes uh, to get his degree and, and he went and uh, took a yoga class out in California. So I asked him, oh, what are you doing this summer? And he goes, oh, I'm going to uh, study massage therapy. And I go, oh, so we started talking about that. And I go, maybe I'll give you a call when you're doing it and, and uh, come out and do a column. Because I'm, you know, look, hey, I'm, all, I'm always trolling the waters for something to write about, you know. And he said, sure. So the time came and uh, he said, why don't you come out to the school and and so I went out and it was a South Miami, a strip mall school. And uh, I remember going up there and he had on his uh, white, uh, you know, looking like a doctor almost. And, and they said, so what do you want to do? And I go, I want you to give me a massage. But I want he goes, okay. You know, because that was right up his alley. He ain't going to say, how's this going to look or anything. He didn't care. He liked <laughs> right. it. So thank, thank God it was uh, was a Japanese shiatsu massage where you keep your clothes on okay, okay. <laughs> but, but it was still we're on the we're, we're still on the internet world 
And I got a lot of, oh my God, you got a massage from Ricky Williams. But, but it was a great column. It was a fun column. And it, really, it was all Ricky that he allowed himself to be, be seen. And that, you know, he said, yeah, sure, I don't have anything to. Now, was there was, a photographer there, Dave? Do we have any? Photographer was there. Videographer okay. was there. Yep. And uh, I'm sure if you can find a picture of my dad on my Wikipedia page, you can find. <laughs> That you wasn't very find, hard. Yeah, yeah, that's a little weird one. But I'm sure you can find uh, – I haven't seen it recently, but I'm sure it was a bit – I would like to too. appeal to the Google gods that the picture of Ricky giving you a massage should replace the picture of your father. <laughs> yeah, we're going to see the power of the tank right now. Yeah. All right, all right. That, I'm okay? going to start making some moves here. <laughs> and, and Dave, you know what? Piggybacking on what you talked about about with Ricky, you know, we we saw we heard a different Ricky when we had him on the podcast. What you know, I think a lot of people maybe be um, I guess misinformed or didn't understand Ricky. What was your relationship like with him, other than the, the massage, obviously? Well, the first time, the first stretch with him, I really didn't understand him. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, because he, in in a good way, he was completely different than anybody I'd ever covered. Okay. And he had thoughts and he had uh, ideas and, and it was really fascinating. So the second time when I got to know him a little, it was really interesting to talk to him. And, you know, he, he's one of those guys who, you know, he, he, I guess he had an agent, but Par- Bill Parcells one day walked by his locker and put a yellow stick at, stick at notice that said 4.5. And that was the negotiation for his contract right there. Okay. Yeah, it was a good. violation, by the way. Yeah, he shouldn't have <laughs> <be> done that. <laughs> so, Ricky, Ricky, so, you know, you talk about interesting guys to cover and why I like the, this business is, is, you know, meeting guys like that and, and uh, you know, getting to know them somewhat. But he also told me recently in his new life as a, a, a marijuana, I don't know, spokesman, businessman, um, entrepreneur. He's making all the money he he got suspended and fined for. He's making it back on top. <laughs> That's only right. That's only right. That's only right. All, 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 all life's a circle, right? <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, it's interesting though. You know what you say that not to get stuck on this on this point here, Dave. But when you said you didn't understand him at first, and we talked to Ricky about. You know, he really was ahead of his time, and and that individual that you struggled to understand initially is now I, I don't want to say there are a lot of Ricky Williams now in in our league but but this is a league that that I think is built to accept that individuality far more than than the league was at that time and so uh, I, I think a byproduct of that were the individual individuals who were covering the league yeah I, I think you're right and, and part of that is you know from our from my standpoint just okay you're meeting guys and and thankfully you're meeting guys who just aren't cookie cutter or they in interviews they don't you know just repeat what the coach says or something that football's right. football's hard for that because you know the average the average career is three years and you know you meet Ricky by the end of his run here was in his early 30s I believe and you know he'd grown up you know lasted outlasted a lot he'd, he'd seen a lot he knew what he wanted to say and and he was you know me at 31 or 32 is a different person talking than me at 20. No doubt. Okay. And, and I think that's what a lot of times we forget this business is a lot of these times guys at 21 just don't have a lot to say. You know, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, as I didn't either. 
or just their worldview is is just so much more narrow. You know, they might have a lot to say, but it doesn't come from right, right, right. experience. So, well, speaking of people who are interesting characters and, and going places with your stories, you know, somewhere along the way, you became the expert uh, journalist on the 72 team, uh, which is interesting because you didn't cover them, right? And, you know, obviously, like, you know, when the, the late great Edwin Pope was was here, he, he saw it, lived it, ran with it. But you have done a lot uh, to chronicle those stories. Uh, you've written books and, you know, even the stories shared with us earlier with Coach Shula and, and his romantic proposal. Uh, but there was one individual on that team that was a little, um, a little harder to get in touch with than, than the rest of those guys. And, and that is the great Jake Scott. So uh, I, I remember that uh, and I don't know if you wrote a story about this or you just told me this, but that whole journey of of getting Jake for the book was quite an experience. Yeah. Now, I didn't get him for the book. that, And that was the experience. OK, he was the one guy. <laughs> he was the one guy I couldn't get. You know, and when you can't get something, you're like, I'm thinking that's starting to burn me that that I couldn't find him. I couldn't get I remember going to Jim Manage and Jim was Jim was the greatest. You know, he was a great you know, he's great on the football side. He's great on the media side. And he was just great to deal with because he would tell you the, the truth in a fascinating way. And I go, Jim, I know you're friends with Jake. Can, can't you just, uh, you know, call him up and, and give me a chance to talk to him? And he goes, Howard Cosell. Uh, and he went through this list of five big media titans. He goes, they've all come to me with the same. <laughs> and I no can't needs- do it. And, and, and so, uh, so what happened was I went to my editor after the, after I wrote a book on the 72 dolphins called still perfect. And so I said, Hey, uh, if you ever have any extra money, send me to Hawaii and I'll go try to do a story on Jake Scott. But here's a catch. I can't promise he's going to talk to me. In fact, there's a good chance he might not talk to me. Okay. You go go to Hawaii without possibly doing an interview. I, th- I thought it was the greatest scam in the world. Yeah. You know? I'm right? surprised that he went for it. Especially if he bit. Well, it took about four years, you know. Okay. Then one day, I'd forgotten all about it, you know. A couple years afterwards, he'd go, you have any good story ideas? And I said, Jake Scott in Hawaii. Because I'm thinking, uh, you know, a few days in Hawaii. If I get him, great. If not, I'm in Hawaii. A few days in yeah. Hawaii, sure. So he came to me and goes, hey, uh, why don't you go out and try to get hold of Jake Scott? Wow. Wow. So Jake's to tell what it's like. So I go out and I, he's on the last time he's in Kauai. Okay. I knew I had his address and I actually had to call his mom who lived in Georgia. Cause I wanted to make sure he was there if I'm going out there. And uh, so I was having it on. I didn't want to say I'm going out there to alert him, but I did find out he was still in, he was in Hawaii at the time. And uh, so I, I drove by his house. It's uh, right across from the ocean. Uh, beautiful. If you've been in Hawaii, it's just a beautiful Hanalei Bay, the last town on the last island in the last state before the, you drop into the Pacific Ocean. And, Sounds um, like it doesn't suck, Juice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, not it at doesn't. All. <laughs> but Jake, now you got to understand, Jake' personality. He was in a bar in Colorado once, and a guy came up and pushed him and said, "Hey, I hear you're a football player." And he goes, "He goes, well, I, I'm the toughest guy in here. I just want to show you how." So the guy's picking a fight, and uh, it was a downstairs bar, and they walk upstairs. And as they're walking upstairs to go outside, Jake says, well, what are the rules of the fight? And the guy said, there are no rules. 
And so Jake opens the door to go outside and he turns as the guy's coming up the stairs, he bam, pops him. <laughs> the guy goes tumbling down the stairs and Jake walks over him and goes, there's nobody tougher in here than you. And, and so this, there, there's a hundred stories like that of Jake. They would not, the I bet, don't, that's what the rules of the fight were. Right, <laughs> right, right. No rules, no rules. Anything <laughs> the Dolphin veterans his first year wouldn't, they didn't even try to make him right, right, because they just stayed away from him. He was one of those guys. They had a look in his eye that said, um, so I'm, I'm hearing all these stories resonating in my head as I'm going to his house unannounced. And uh, there's a guy outside. I, and this is in the lead of the story, but there's a guy in his truck, an SUV outside his house. And I, you know, reaching in something, I go, hey, Jake. And he comes out and he goes, no, Jake's up in the house. He goes, who are you? And I said, oh, I said, I'm a writer from Florida. And he goes, hey, Jake, there's a writer from Florida here to see you. And, said, and that vision of him turning and punching the guy and rolling down the stairs goes through my head. But I knock on the door. He comes out. He's the nicest guy. Um, we talk for 10 minutes. And uh, he says, you know, every day I'm at this bar at 5 o'clock. If you want to come in, we'll have a drink. Now, the bar, if you've seen the movie Descendants, with George Clooney, these three seats that him and these two other guys sat in every day at five o'clock are prominently featured in, in that movie where uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the main character besides Clooney, one of Jeff Bridges, I believe, or Bo Bridges, sitting in, his, in that seat. And the same two guys who sit next to Jake are in the movie. So um, we sat there from five o'clock to one in the morning and talked and talked and told all the stories, great stories about, you know, he didn't get along with Shula, why he didn't, but just, uh, you know, it was just a, a great, you know, when I'm thinking of back in my career, that, that was probably the, the, the most fun story to do. What was his reaction? Like, you came all the way the hell out of here. Like, what if I didn't answer the door? Did he, did he even react to that? Or did he just, hey, come on, meet me at the bar? And his reaction was, I knew you were coming. And I said, you knew I was coming. I goes, and, and the other story with Jake, and one of the things is all his teammates say he never lies. He won't lie about anything. Like, you, you, you better get ready for the furnace blast because there's no filter on him. And so, <laughs> and so he's going to tell you what he thinks. And, you know, I guess somehow his mom must have called, tipped him off, and he called, says, knew someone at the airlines. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, you know, he, he couldn't have been nicer. And it was, it was really uh, – you know, we're walking around the island the next day. I remember I saw Pierce Brosnan, the actor who has a house James out Bond. there. James Bond. And uh, so... Bond, if you ask me, but that's... A <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a wild experience. Adam, that's great, man. You know, speaking of, you know, obviously Seth talked about going places, but you've covered being in Iowa and Hayden Fry, those, those cats are a little different than the guys you saw at UM, I'm sure, right? I mean, you talk about how the Big Ten and how regimented everything it was. But you also had to run into some guys in the Dolphin locker room. And you talk about how nobody messed with Jake Scott, right? Well, one guy in the Dolphins, you know, is the first guy to haze me, a guy by the name of Brian Cox. <laughs> I know you know about B. Cox a little bit. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. He wasn't yeah. afraid of me at all. So I was <laughs> He wasn't afraid but of me I, either. Yeah, I heard you got on his bad side at one point. Yeah, I, one, one, one time, uh, so we're talking, you know, early 90, 92, 93, something like that. And uh, you guys had just lost, you know, it was the, the year after the San Diego playoff loss. 
bad loss. Bad You're loss. up like 21-3 at half. And and I'm only telling this because it plays into the, the why you got upset. Appreciate it, Dave. Appreciate it. <laughs> and so the next year you open well, against – not be right on this. Yeah, one. no. You open against the Colts and you have a lead at half and you end up losing that game. So I wrote a column, you know, a great, great, beautiful tone, I'm sure, saying oh, nothing's changed. You know, you know, bad loss to end one season, bad loss to, and I, and I come out the next day, and Harvey Harvey Green, the PR guy, comes up to me and he goes, "Hey, can you not go in the locker?" <laughs> and I'm like, shocking. I said, "What?" I goes, "Yeah, you might not want to go in the locker." And I was like, you know, he's trying to he's trying to do his job and and uh, warn me and and head off a confrontation. So I go, Harvey, you know, I have to go, I have to go in the locker. So I walk in the locker, and there on the whiteboard, you know, the grease board, and, and here, I, I don't know where we are on this podcast. Just go for it. We can okay. edit it out later. Leon's I, 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 as, as a reporter, I'll just wrote, quote what I saw, which was Dave Hyde <laughs> And I'm like, That might Whoa. be a first. And I, and, I, and I walk in, and, and as if I couldn't see, read that, and everybody else couldn't read that, he yells it from across the locker room. So I'm thinking, he quoted himself. He made sure that. Yeah, he made sure. <laughs> right. case, it wasn't case, anonymous. It wasn't yeah, anonymous. Yeah, he, he wanted the, he wanted, he wanted to offer the writing. Yeah, I think he did sign it too, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was signed. Was it, was it COX? Did he put COX? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, of course, so I walk over at him, and he's yelling at me and da 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 and, and I have to admit, I really didn't understand why I was upset. Okay, I, okay. I, I again, mean, I again, Dave, you didn't know why, right? Like, <laughs> right, right, right. But this time I really didn't because I'm thinking, you know, I didn't rip him. You know, I'm thinking, what did I write? Okay, I didn't rip. I don't even remember mentioning Brian Cox. You know? And he was upset because he said they were, and he's right, they were two completely different losses. One game they got out physical, the other game they got out finessed. And how dare I compare one to the other? But anyways, and like anything else, you go up and you talk to him. He calms down. I'm like, I'm like a little nervous in the lot. You know, it's not a good situation to be in. Part of you, part of you is going to humana, 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 humana. You know, just hoping that you don't stumble over words. And but, you know, it's a healthy thing to do. That's part of covering. You go if you write something, you have to go out there the next day and face the music. That's yeah. the way I was raised in the business. And uh, but. Uh, Fast forward, Brian Cox is an assistant again of the Dolphins uh, for for a brief period there with Parcells, I believe, and uh, went out and talked to him. And you know, like like anything else, you grow up, everybody moves on. It's not a big deal. But but that day, it was very uncomfortable doing that, <laughs> to say the least. So but I'm glad I'm glad OJ that you got the business too. It wasn't yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> boy did I. I feel like everybody did right. Whole sidelines in Cincinnati, and and you know. The, Brian's wrath was felt in a lot of places. But so that story is fascinating for, for a lot of reasons. Uh, I love that. I love that he wrote it and then had to, to say it again. But um, as you said, you know, one of the things is from the PR guy's perspective, when guys rip people or write something that they know is going to be inflammatory and cause a shitstorm in the locker room, and then they don't show up the next day. There's nothing that, you know, you see Juice nodding his head. Nothing bothers PR guys, coaches players more than that that you know hey if we go have a horrible game we have to then go into the locker room and have a bullshit 10 minute cool off period and then face the music with you guys and if we leave we get fined 
but you guys can write whatever you want and if you don't show up the next day. So I know that that's a, a big deal to players. And so it, it's fascinating that Harvey was like, you might not want to come in. Hey, where are you? You know, you wrote this, you better show up today. But, but maybe this was one and, and because it was Brian. <laughs> you know, another one was uh, Jimmy Johnson when he was here. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy was to me the, the most fascinating coach, you know, up with Ricky, different parameters here. But as a coach, he was the most fascinating because you never knew what angle he was going to come from. And, and he was different at my, at the, with the Dolphins and with UM because the great success he had at UM. And he was younger and probably brasher. And that's maybe it's also when I got to know him first. But uh, I love covering Jimmy, but remember to the end of his reign, him and Dan Marino were clashing and he, he came out. And so I, I wrote a column saying, okay, Marino is not perfect at this point in his career, but neither is Jimmy. And I wrote all these lists of mistakes Jimmy had made. And one of them to my, you know, you, you regret things in this business sometimes. And it was a throwaway line. Okay. It was like, it was on the jump. Second page, you got to turn the page. And it was, and he's got a little dog. You went after Buttercup, <laughs> and, and unfortunately, the editor the editor put a picture of Buttercup. And, and I'm a dog person, and I love dogs. But I go it. I go out there the next day, and because because you you know as much as you can, as long as you you got to face the music. And the question, you know, media huddles around Jimmy, and the question was something like, "Hey, coach, you have a good practice?" Something innocuous, you know. And he goes, well, I guess you all read that I wasn't perfect today. He goes, what to rip a little dog, you know? And he was right. I, was like, I, felt, I felt awful. Wait a minute. He was in his feelings about the dog. He didn't yeah, care. Yeah, he no, he's like, rip me all you want, but rip my dog. Come on, man. He loved oh, that dog. Love Buttercup yeah. Island, they put an island in the pool for that little dog. Did we lose Juice? Is Juice frozen on this thing? I think he might be. Yeah, I think he might be. Yeah. I thought it was just some anti-Jimmy sentiment. but <laughs> <laughs> Now, Jimmy to me is a great – even nobody does retirement better than Jimmy. No football coach I know has done retirement. Enjoyed life, you know, uh, you know down in the Keys. Got his little uh, – not little, a big, uh, you know, paradise place down there. And, you know, he, he's, a, he's a real fascinating person. Did you write the story – I think the last hurricane, his place, and that place yeah. was stunningly gorgeous. I mean, he, he threw an amazing party that Tony Eggwis chronicles. Uh, so we, we had the fortune of being there. But I know that place got flattened. And were you the one who um, wrote that piece? Yeah, I went down. He, so he was out in L.A. doing TV work with Fox. And he flew in on, a say, a Wednesday night. And I met him Thursday morning. And his place was uh, devastated. It was, uh, you know, the docks were destroyed. Uh, an ice machine that had been on the docks was, you know, 300 feet up the driveway. There was sand all around his house. Uh, you know, and again, that's sort of the, he's built it in his image of what, how he thought paradise had to see it. Right. That shape was, uh, but, you know, he, he got it back. It's all like, like the rest of the keys. It's all built back again. Of course. Well, I remember, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember one of the lines that I thought was really profound in there. Um, and, and I give coach credit for that was that, you know, he was devastated, but he also realized that he had the means to, to start over. Yeah, a lot yeah. of folks didn't know what they were going to be able to do because they, yeah, they, you know, yeah. that was everything they had was, was put in those places. And, yeah, and, but it is interesting from, from a writing standpoint. He sort of, to me, became a voice of the keys. Mm. You know, look, we're in pain. We got hit. 
but as you said, Jimmy said, don't feel sorry for me. Feel sorry for, you know, try to help these other people. I got the money to, to put it back together. And a lot of people down here don't. Yeah. Hey, Dave, how does, and I'm going off script here a little bit, but how does, I mean, how do you, how do you reach out to a guy who just lost, suffered that kind of loss and say, hey, can, can I come down and tell this story? And granted, I, I imagine your pre-existing relationship with Jimmy helps be able to make that call. But um, that's got to be a tough ask. Yeah, a lot of, like any other business, sales, teaching, anything, it's about relationships. And, I, and I'd known Jimmy by that point for years and years, and I got to know him better in retirement than I did in, so I didn't. It's to be a theme, know, by the way. The, the, other, the other thing is um, this job gives you license to ask questions you would never ask people, uh, you know, and for better and for worse. And better, the worse is sometimes they don't want to be asked the questions, okay? and somebody's died and, and you're asking questions. Now, for better in that, a lot of times people are very gratified to ask, you know, the, their father's died or something and, and they want to talk about them. They want to Honor. tell people about them and, and they appreciate that his life is going to be celebrated in a different, you know, in a, whether a newspaper or somewhere in the media. So, you know, for better or worse, but yeah, you get a license to ask questions, um, and I've had people hang up on me because yeah. they, and at the same time, I've had people say, um, hey, I really appreciate you calling. So you don't know how people are going to react to a death or a tragedy or, or something or their house getting destroyed. And you just ask. Yeah, just don't fuck with a man's dog, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Bottom line. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> you know, so we had Armando on, and uh, right, Juice, I mean, one of the great yeah. stories I ever told in the fish tank where, where he lit up Jason Cole and Armando in the Players <laughs> Lounge and had the article, the whole thing. So, so I wonder if you were headed for that, and then you got to the Buttercup piece, and then he didn't even care what you said about him. <laughs> That's unbelievable. You know, everybody says, wants to know the, the great blowups you've had with the media. And here I've been in 30-something years, and there's only a handful of them. I mean, it's not like it's, uh, you know, one of the great things is, is most of the guys are really professional that I, that you come across. Okay. You are too, Dave. And I'm not just saying yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. that's your approach. Man. The, the unfortunate thing about the Dol covering the dolphins, the last X number of years, you're meeting guys when the elevator is going down in their careers, you know, and, and I, I always be fascinated to meet somebody like Jimmy. I met him when the, the elevator is going up, you know, up to the top, you know, well, and, and it's a lot more fun meeting guys that way than it is when you walk out and you have to write about, Oh, there's I think you got a guy loss. in the big office there now over at uh, 7500 Southwest 30th. That's, that's all, you know. Let's hope so. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, a, lot well, more, it's a lot more, it's a lot more covering a, fun covering a winner. Yeah. No. Yeah. No doubt about it. Well, you know, I got to talk about this one guy. I heard about this the story. I know I'm saying it because Big Seth falls apart every time I talk about this guy. Oh, uh, but <laughs> I know what you're doing. Every time his name comes up, Seth falls apart. Bill Parcells. You know, I know you once wrote a, a piece that was complimentary of Bill Parcells, but it had, you know, unintentionally had a lasting effect that, you know, maybe you didn't expect, Dave. Tell me about the, <laughs> your relationship yeah, with Bill yeah. in, in this, this, this piece. Well, by the end, I really didn't have a good, I, I had a non-relationship with Bill, but for, the, for a while. Did you have a relationship with anybody like that? Or they had one guy, right? What's that? Did he have mm -hmm. a personal relationship did with anybody? Oh, did he? Did he? Uh, yeah. He, uh. He kind of snuck out the side door on everybody, yeah. which is something that, 
very weird to me. I hadn't seen that before in sports. I've always wondered what's the best way to exit, you know, because Ricky didn't do it right. You know, he exited to a tent in Australia. And he came back. Uh, he came back, but he actually, but I've, Parcells did it right, I guess, because he quietly went out the back door and nobody noticed. So, but um, to your, to the point of this, uh, I'd heard he'd befriended a homeless guy. Okay. He, he drove uh, from the Fort Lauderdale beaches on his way in up uh, 17th street causeway at the, at the US one there. He somehow struck up a relationship with a guy who was of all things selling sunset Sentinel newspapers, but he was homeless, you know, <laughs> staying on the corner, hawking newspapers. And I thought, I thought, well, that's weird. And so, you know, you, you're always looking for offbeat stuff in my business. And I, I'm going to go try to find that guy. So I'd get up at five in the morning for four or five days and I'd try to find this, this man. And um, finally, I, I got him and, and he, we went over to like a McDonald's and we had breakfast and I talked to him and he's telling about, yeah, Parcells will drive up in his car and he'll, he'll buy a paper. And, and we started, if it's a red light, we'll talk about football. For the for the amount of the red light, then he'll go, and over that they struck up a friendship, okay. And Parcells, to his great credit, uh, helped the guy back on his feet. He 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 got helped him get identification papers that he needed, which allowed him to get a job. And um, so, to his great credit, but one of the stories that came out of it was before the 2008 draft, and Parcells is debating: does he take Jake Long or Matt Ryan? the quarterback or the tackle, the, the tackle or the quarterback, right? And so he asked the homeless guy, because in their conversation, you know, he, he, hey, would you rather, would you take the, the quarterback or the tackle? And uh, uh, John, the homeless guy says, oh, you got to take the tackle. Oh. Now, this guy was a very strong opinions. So there was no gray area in his answers of anything. And, and you got to take the tackle. And yeah. says, why is that? And he goes, who's going to protect the quarterback? So I've always thought there's been a Chauncey yeah. the Gardner type decision made on that that instrumental draft where they oh. took Jake Long, they passed on Matt Ryan because a homeless guy I'm told Bill Parcells right now. <laughs> oh man, should have made him director of player personnel when he hey, was between there. Seth Force and Ricky to retire and John picking what? our tackle. Right. You know what I mean? I forced this, them. This Why you forced Ricky to retire? There went there went five columns for me a year when he retired. <laughs> I didn't force him to retire. He, he, so I hate to relive this. I hate to relive this. No, I, so I left about six weeks before he did, Dave. You know, I, uh, JT had offered me the job to, to come start the foundation. This was 2004, and, and I took the job, and I was saying bye to the guys, and I told Ricky that I was leaving, and he was a little disappointed but happy for me, and he asked me kind of my thought process in the decision-making, and so I shared it with him, and he just really seemed to understand what I was saying. He just, he just seemed to connect with it. So we, we asked him about it. And unfortunately, um, he connected with it far more than I realized. As, as, as here on the tank. Um, but uh, I think there were a lot of things going on in his life. Well, hold on. Let's yes. get back to fucking Bill Parcells. You know, what, speaking you know, of Bill Parcells. All the happened to this franchise. Matt Ryan is still through. The guy's got 50-something thousand yards. And they're debating whether he's Hall of Fame worthy or not. But look at the friggin' career that guy has had. And look, we, we're excited now for what's going on with the quarterback position here in Miami, but I'm glad he helped that guy get a job. That's really wonderful. And the guy was selling papers and all those things are good, but should he be making that fucking decision for this team? Well, I, I, I think we might be connected to two, 
dots a little too far that he made the decision. But it's a great story. It's I'm a great story. The, you're an award-winning reporter, Dave. If you said it, then that's what he did. Damn well, it is true that that right. happened. That story happened. Uh, but but yeah, you know, one of the things, of course, I've written how many columns on is is all the quarterback decisions and how they've all gone awry. You know, yeah. uh, so uh, let's hope they find a quarterback. That's one of the flaws in the game of football is you need a great quarterback. Yeah, you, you absolutely do. You absolutely do. So, all right, well, we'll shift to another one of my favorites, Juice. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Nick Saban, another one of my all-time favorites here. So, look, what Nick has done in, in the college level, you know, it, it's one of, if not the all-time greats. And, again, unfortunately, I think every player other than Zach Thomas who has played for him and been on this show just raves about Nick. Mm-hmm. But Defensive guys, he, defensive guys. True. That's a fair point. <laughs> no, but you know what? Chambers. Chambers said he empowered him and he you did. know and all that stuff. But the thing that he's remembered here for more than anything else, and probably part of the reason why so many people uh, have disdain for Nick, is the famous line of, I'm not going to be the Alabama head coach. What award-winning journalist pulled that out of him, Dave? Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> you know, that was one of the stranger days, okay? Because there were rumors flying around. Obviously, Alabama has been going on for days. And, and I was out there. Now, as a columnist, I don't go out there every day, okay? And, and I was out there this day. I hadn't been out for a couple of days, and I'd seen him tap dancing around the question. Here they come again. And there's Nick again tap dancing. That And, okay, my mindset was he's staying with the Dolphins. Okay, tells you how completely off base was. I talked to a couple of people. Maybe he should have gone out a few more times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so he's tap dancing, I, and I go, well, you're not answering the question. I said, you're not answering the question. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, I think I did. I go, no, you didn't say you're going to stay with the Dolphins. Or He goes, well, well, then I just, I guess I got to say it. I'm not going to be the Alabama coach. And <laughs> that, so my mindset was, I thought in a weird way, I'm helping him say what he's trying to say. Okay. <laughs> and, you, and, and to be honest, what, to be honest, I was just tired of him tap dancing. Okay. Which should have been the first tip off that he's, he's going. Right. Okay? Cause it, look, if, if he's going to stay, he extinguishes everything right away. So, but yeah, that, that uh, led to a, you know, Harvey came up to me. You can't hold him to that answer. And cause he's, <laughs> and you know, Nick was fascinating. And, you know, one of the great regrets to me, and I, I think people don't understand, he was a great guy to cover. And, and I've covered bad guys. I've covered a lot of bad guys. You know, the, the Cam Camerons, the Joe Philbins, guys who won't give you anything on my side. Where, but, but Nick Saban, he would come in there, and you'd have to poke him a little. And, you, you know, of course, at Alabama, you see the clips of when he, his anger gets up a little. Or, but he had stories to tell. He'd share philosophies of his life or uh, football and um, he, he tried to be interested. I, I had no problem. And people say, Oh, he was awful. He's awful. He's not awful with the media. That's one of the great misconceptions, I think. And you talk to anybody who covered him with the dolphins. Um, he was really interesting to cover. Now that you were never going to become best friends with him, which, Hey, that, that's fine with me. I don't need to go out and, but when you want interesting answers or something to somebody answer some questions, he would, he would do it. Now I knew, I thought they were in trouble. He used to do the radio show, a radio show over at a restaurant, right? 
Uh-huh. And and uh, he'd have different guests every week and different media people to his credit every week. Yes, yeah, so even could, Sonic you, didn't have the same response that you did. <laughs> is that right? And you, but you could ask him anything. And in fact, I remember Har, Har, I said, Harvey, I'm going to ask him. They, they, there were all these defensive backs being signed and they hadn't signed any and they didn't have any defensive backs that were proven. I remember and I said, I'm going to ask him, why, why aren't they signing them? He goes, yeah, go ahead. He won't. He, he, he likes you know, you ask him. So I didn't, he answered it, but I'm standing off to the side with his wife, Terry, and, and, uh, and she was a live personality. And she goes, where is everybody? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, look at the restaurant. Where is everybody? And I go, you know, the, the team hadn't won. <laughs> team hadn't won anything. They're not going to come out here. This, is, this isn't a small college town where yeah. people are just going to say, oh, we love the Dolphin coach. Um, you got you to gotta put some results out there. So um, I thought they were in trouble at that point. Yeah, you were right. They were. You were absolutely right. Exactly right. You know, we've uh, we've talked a lot, David, about a lot of different coaches and leaders of this franchise, and you know, but there's a also a great story that we do have a true head man that's been around for a while now, Mr. Stephen Ross. He's uh, one of my favorite owners. I've I've loved all our owners, man, from from the Robbies to Hyzinga to Mr. Ross now. But you know, there's a, a story about you know Mr. Ross and an exchange he had with Brian Billick that you, that you know. Yeah. About. So. so- yeah, so when Steve got bought the team, obviously the Dolphins play the Jets every year. And here I'm thinking, how can I get an extra day in New York? Okay, so are you seeing a theme? Forward, forward thinking, Matty. Are you seeing a theme? <laughs> Hawaii, Jake Scott, New York. So, so no, I, I thought I, I want to go up and I want to meet him and, and, and his element and, and uh, with the related group up in uh, – in New York, where the headquarters are. So I emailed him and he goes, yeah, sure, come on up. I'm here all the time. And I was like, oh, that's great. He's going to, and Friday night, five o'clock, went into his office and we sat, we probably talked for two hours. And it was, you know, he was really open, fascinating as he's been throughout his time. And, but one of the stories that came up was when he bought the team. And if you remember, the Dolphins were, what were they, 0-13 the year before, and uh, the, the game against uh, Baltimore, and Brian Billick's the coach of Baltimore. And he, he, what did he do, Seth? He kicked a field goal. And yeah, I think that's what he did. going for the win, yeah. yeah okay. He, he, he could have gone for the win mm-hmm. and, and said he kicked a field goal because the Dolphins end up winning um, because of that, you know, long past to Greg Camarillo. So Billick gets fired at the end of the year. Steve Ross takes over the team. Billick takes a job on the NFL Networks. Fast forward to the next year, Brian Billick with the NFL Network is knocking on Steve Ross's door for an interview. And Ross, you know, he holds out his hand and shakes the, he goes, and Ross goes, you son of a bitch. And I, I, I might be exaggerating the language, but that was the idea. And, and Billick's like, what, what happened? He goes, you cost me $40 million. <laughs> and he goes, what? What are you talking about? And so he explains the end of the, the Baltimore game how the Dolphins won, and Wayne Heisen called him up the next morning and said the price went just went up forty million dollars. <laughs> he said I, he said after that win. Now, if you remember, after the win, Heisen is crying in the locker room, tears of relief that they're not going to go winless that year. That they got one win on the board. But he says he realized how much he enjoys owning the team, so he called up Ross that night and said. Uh, yeah, the price just went up $40 million. <laughs> well, they're two tough businessmen right there. I, I, yeah. That's funny. And, and then and then Parcells went and talked to 
John, you know, a couple months later about the quarterback situation. Because <laughs> <Right? laughs> when we yes. had that first pick in the draft the following year. <laughs> That's right in that timeline. You're right. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. That All right. Well, let's, let's shift to something else here. You know, there's no way we could talk about or let you go, Dave, without – there's one guy we haven't mentioned. Uh, you know, we're talking about you covering the Dolphins for this entire time. And Dan Marino. You know, and, and you've had a really wonderful relationship with Dan. I know how much he respects you, but you're, and, and it seems to be a theme, your post-career relationship with these guys uh, grow even more. You were telling me a really wonderful story um, that I think just sums up who Dan is in, in a lot of ways um, and, and just kind of sums up the magic of Dan Marino. Yeah, you know, and, and Marino really wasn't a good guy to cover. And he'll be the first to say it from the standpoint of he ain't going to give you a good quote. He's not going to be, you know, he was always approachable, which is, you know, rule number one, hopefully, of, of a friend. So if you got to know him, you could call up and go up and ask him a question or two. But he didn't really like being a headline. He didn't want to be out. Now he's a great leader. But, but uh, to your point, so, again, I go up to New York, and he's on CBS, the, the football show. And I, I just want to do a column on, uh, you know, what's, what's Dan Maruno's afterlife like on TV and and what it's like spending a Sunday with them. He was all for it. Come on up. So we're, I'm standing next to the set where they're, you know, I'm right outside the camera view. And there's Boomer Esiason going through stats and circling things to say and, and look a little frantic, to be honest with you. You know, as, as, as they're counting down, you know, 20 seconds. And, and there's Dan just sitting there staring at the cameras, very calm and collected. And, and, and Boomer looks at me and he goes, Will you look at that? All he's got to do is be Dan Marino. <laughs> and that's, that's great. And, that's, and, 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 and Dan knew his personality perfectly, and Boomer is like going crazy. He's got it because he, he's trying to find the perfect stat, you know. And so it was really interesting to see. That. And I've always thought that he's just got to be Dan Marino in life. That's it. And, and, and Deuce, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard him say this, but <laughs> Ralph and Vinny all the time, he'd say, just got to be Dan Marino, and it's a great gig if you can get it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> There's only one guy who earned that gig. That's right. That is, that is awesome. Well, uh, let me say this, Dave, too, and, and, and OJ, I think, feels the same way when I told him that, that you would agree to, to be on the show. You know, for the, for the eight years that I was there, you know, a lot of different people have different approaches to telling these stories and to covering these teams. And I was always impressed that you would really want to get all perspectives uh, when you had the time to do so, you know, after a game's a little bit different. But you really wanted to get all perspectives when you were going to write a column on the team. And I know you would have countless conversations with Harvey, um, I, I, you know, and I, I know a couple of times you've told me, hey, you going to grab lunch? Let's go across the street. And let me just kind of not, not to fish for information, but just to get a perspective that maybe you're, you know, what am I missing here? So I, I, I appreciate that. And, and um, I think that's something listeners need to know when they're reading who they're reading uh, that, you know, the approach you guys take. In. No, thanks. I appreciate it. I, I remember you as a PR guy, Seth. I remember being desperate for a column one day and you said, I got something for you. Did I, I pitch something? Yeah, and you said just a second. You came out with James McKnight. Oh the receiver, yeah, had a card, and mm-hmm. and which he was more he wanted to share. And right, he, he, being a good PR guy, shared it with me, and I went out and talked to him. It was uh, it was about Christianity. I believe it was it's about Christianity and and overcoming sexual addiction. That that was it. That was yeah. it. Overcoming sexual addiction. I knew it wasn't just uh, your normal uh, vanilla uh, Christianity story. It had a real big twist to it. So. 
you know, back at you. You know, you knew what we were looking for and, and, and how to make both sides of it work. Yeah, OJ was just a good interview. That's a, actually, I remember, <laughs> I remember OJ, you, you remember, tell the story. You caught, how long was that pass against the University of Miami you caught? Um, oh, man, I don't, I don't even remember, man. I, I know I had some good games against them. Yeah, know? that's what I remember. I remember first seeing OJ in the Orange Bowl playing Miami. A lot of big game. Oh man, I loved it. And that was that was crazy in there playing against those guys, man. You know, like you talk about, they were still in the middle of their heyday then. 80s all through the early 90s. They were they were incredible. So it was a that was a big loss for us two years in a row playing against the U. Down here in Miami and also, you know, of course up in Penn State. It it was awful. Awful loss. Sounds like Deuce wanted to show out for Joe the homeless guy or whatever. That's right. I wanted Joe to pick me. John. John to pick me. (laughs) What I what I remember Penn State game up there, I forgot about this. Um is Michael Barrow, the, the linebacker for the, for the University of Miami. He played in the pros for a while, and he, and he coached down at UM. He, he recovered a fumble, and I'm talking to him after the game about the – he goes, yeah, as I'm – it's a big pile up. It was a big, crucial fumble in the game he recovered, and he goes, you, you know what happened in there? Yeah. I feel an arm snaking up my leg, and it grabbed my balls, and I'm screaming. And he, he goes, ref, he's got my balls. He's got my balls. Yeah. He goes, but I wouldn't let go of the football. <laughs> yep, I know the guard that did that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that guy's move. <laughs> that is too funny. Well, Dave, thank you for, for taking the time, man. I, I know these are – it's kind of crazy, crazy days right now trying to cover sports, and, and there's a lot of questions as to will we even have um, the football that we want to have. But we're, we're certainly hopeful that we will have football and can't wait to read what you have to say about this year's team and, yeah. and everything else. Thank, thank thanks, you. For, thanks for having me, breaking up my uh, shelter at home. You know, it's good. <laughs> it's good to actually talk to people, even if it's uh, – our business now has become Zoom. So, but great. Enjoy your guys' podcast. Keep up the good work. Hey, thanks for diving in, Dave. You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth Living, Seth. OJ, Juice, man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. dog fans, number one, one, of course, y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank, go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank, it's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank, rocking with OJ and Seth when you dive up in that fish tank, Big or cry hard, leave it all on the field. We gon' try hard, old school, a new school, mix it in. Feeling like we up close when we listening. Dolphins tales in Miami is the deep end. We vibing with our favorite players, no secret. We get with Seth and McDuffie, bringing up stories we never heard to the public. Bet we love it. Dolphins fans never budget. We loyal to the team, whether happy or we upset. We be like, what's next? Don't switch the subject. You know it's all about the fans. And if you ready for that water, time to dive in. Don't switch the subject. You know it's all about the fans. And if you down with Dolphins Nation, time to dive in. Don't switch the subject. You know it's all about the fans. You looking at that fish tank, it's time to dive, dive in. Fish tank. Go get your aqua orange. Yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank. It's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank. Rapping with OJ and Seth when you dive up in that fish tank.